The following is a hoop ball presentation. What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It's David and Isaac. This is Hoop Ball Grizz. Isaac, how's it going, man? Man, it's good. Uh, it's been a while, man. Glad to be back on the Hoop Ball Grizz podcast, man. Been watching summer league, uh, doing some evaluation there, man. It's been fun watching these young guys get out there and, and, and do their thing. And uh, we got two guys here with the Grizzlies that we're, we're definitely going to talk about their performances here going on uh, throughout the podcast today. So, man, it, it's been fun, man. I'm doing well. Yeah. So before we get into Grizzly stuff, we're going to talk about a couple things. But I would, let, let's since we started with Summer League here, who is somebody that is not on the Grizzlies roster that has really surprised you with Summer League play? No, surprise is a is kind of a tough one. There's some guys that I've enjoyed watching. Like if you want to throw a name out there, a guy that I've really been impressed with is is Davion Mitchell. And I guess I would say surprise because he's not a guy that I felt like it was a lot of hype with him. I felt like a lot of people were seeing it was the kind of what have you done for me lately effect with what he was doing in the NCAA tournament. And that's kind of what you saw of him last. And that was fantastic with, with Baylor going on to win a national championship. And you kind of saw what he was doing then. You're like, man, this guy flew up the boards and, and became like a, a top 10, top 15 pick. And I was kind of skeptical of that because of the size. I mean, he was already small and even measured smaller to come by at 6'1". A lot of people thought he was 6'2", 6'3". Uh, but, but he surprised me, man. He looks legit. I know it's summer league. I know it's not regular NBA competition. But, I mean, we saw against the Grizzlies the other night. I mean, he's doing it all, man. That defense is definitely translated to this level. I mean, he was all over guys in that game against the Grizzlies and knocking down tough shots. I mean, just doing a little bit of it all. So any guy that I've, I've been surprised by that I've, I've really watched, he's a guy that I've got, got been kind of surprised now. We'll see what happens when they get in the regular season. But he's he's looked really good in summer league. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, you know, it's not to the point. I mean, it's just summer league, so I'm not re- overreacting sure. about anybody for sure. You know, I, I think you and I are on the same page as that. But um, offensively, he's doing a lot more than what I I didn't realize he had so much in his bag. You know, he's he's been able to shoot the three really, really well and then take some guys off the dribble. Um, just surprised me. And, and honestly, you know, I, I don't think that I'm going to eat crow yet because he hasn't done it in a regular season. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. But his defense is as I advertised yeah, for sure. Man. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, a, a guy for me that I think a lot of GMs are just like probably kicking themselves is Singoon. He he's been balling out, man, and I don't try think, to tell people, man. <laughs> I I know that, uh, like you say, I know it's summer league, but the better players in summer league dominate, and and that's what he's been doing. He's been doing every bit of that, man. So that that's one between Mitchell and Sengun that 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 would be my two guys for top performers for sure. And I mean, outside of the Grizzlies, of course. Yeah, Sengun's been playing real well. It, it doesn't surprise me because I was. I was very confident that, that he was going to be a good player. I know a lot of people kind of dismissed him, and he did kind of drop, but I think the Rockets kind of steal. I mean, a lot of people thought they would take Mobley initially there at two, and you get Jalen Green, you pass on Mobley, and then come back and make the trade, get the second-best center prospect in the draft. I mean, Houston just knocked it out of the park uh, with, with their draft. But Singoon just super advanced in the post. Uh, I mean, won the MVP of the Turkish League at 18 years old. I mean, he's been playing – high-level competition ever since he was, like, 16. So, uh, and he kind of talked about that in his interview. He said, like, this is, I think that playing against grown men at such a young age is going to help him into the NBA. And, I mean, so far, so good, man. Again, you don't want to freak out and go too far with Summer League, but but he has definitely looked good. Yeah, yep. 
So one more thing before we get into Grizzly stuff. There's been a lot of buzz around the Malice in the Palace documentary. Have you uh, you got a chance to watch that yet? I have, man. It, it's fantastic. And I, I love, I'm a big fan of these sports documentaries. It's like, because I remember watching that live um, yeah. <laughs> as, as, a, as a youngster watching that game live. And I always love these documentaries when you think back to when you were watching the games live and then you see all of this stuff going on behind the scenes that, you don't get when you, when you watch on TV all the pregame stuff when they're coming to the game, the stuff in the locker room, stuff at halftime, and then when you get into the the actual scene that happened, there's just so much so much stuff going on that you didn't weren't, weren't privy to watching it on television. I mean, this it was very well done, man. I think this is one of the best of these type of documentaries that I've seen, man. And I it was fantastic. I mean, I, I probably probably watched it a few more times for sure, man. I enjoyed it. I actually, thought about watching it right again after I, after I ended. I was like, man, this was so good. I could watch this again right now. So I, I really yeah. enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done. I, I'm de- I'm definitely going to go back and watch it a second time because I feel like there was a ton packed in there, and I think I missed some things. But I, I loved how the story was more focused on showing how good the Pacers were yeah. with, you know, with, with that team and our tests and Jermaine O'Neal, the, you know, the trade for, for Steven Jackson. What, what I wish would happen is, you know, there's been over last year, there were a lot of our, when we, when the fans started getting back into the arenas, we saw the popcorn incident with Russ, uh, you know, just different stuff where fans are feeling like they can do whatever they want to these guys. And I feel like the NBA should just have the, uh, a loop of the first dude that Steven Jackson laid into when he got into the stands and just play that for the crowd. Be like, hey, in case you were wondering what's going to happen if you try to start something with one of these dudes, this is what could, this could be you. Because Steven Jackson clobbered <laughs> that dude, man. I mean, it was square. He comes running up and just full force. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. It, I, it I didn't, you know, I didn't remember that punch from, you know, watching it back in the day. But, you know, going back and watch that documentary, they, they showed it a couple times. And I'm like, holy crap, he freaking drilled that dude. But, it's people so often, you know, that the media story about all oh, these million dollar cry baby. To, I was getting so mad. I was like, oh my God, they're still humans. I don't care how much money they make to play a game. They're getting paid that much money to play a game because they're the best in the world. That doesn't give you the right to treat them as anything other than what they are, which is human. And exactly. Yeah. So, like, I don't really. I don't want to see anything like that ever happen again. I don't know that we will because I, I, of the way I don't think it will. Is. Yeah, it, it's but, different now. You know, it, it's the media story would be significantly different at this point than what it was then, for sure. Yeah, it, it's crazy how people like want to act like these athletes aren't human, like you said, like they're robots, and they can just take anything you can say anything to them that they don't have feelings or emotions like you can do whatever you want but they can't do whatever they want which is is crazy i mean like i said ryan Tess laid on table and i guess he, he said he was like going back to his therapy it was just mm-hmm. trying to cool down and, and stay away from the incident and then here's guy throws the bottle and but that that it kind of ensued everything and, and, what, and what about this guy the guy that came on the court that that run test uh, run on test <laughs> Colcock? i mean he's like talking bad call him a punk like like he was in the right like he he was on the yeah. court and like this guy just went after him or something. I'm like, dude, get out of here. I was so pissed off you, when I was listening to this guy not, talk. Like, <laughs> number one, you were not courtside. You went yeah. down on the court. You went down him. the court on your own, man. That's, and, and that's, 
Yeah. <laughs> so he, he, he got what was yeah. coming to him on that one. I didn't exactly. feel, don't feel sorry for that guy at all. And that's exactly what the attorney said. He's like, you know, the, as far as the gentleman that came onto the court, he was approaching Ron with his fist clenched. Ron had every right to do what he does. 100%. And so that that's between the Steven Jackson punch and the one that landed Jermaine O'Neal slid. Man, if he if that punch had landed, like you said, he probably would have killed dude. He would have dude been out, <laughs> he, man, for sure. He still smoked that dude. Like he, he still did get lit it, but, that dude up. But but if but, he got him square, man, if that had been a yeah. full force punch, man, dude's head probably would have been there. <laughs> it would have yeah. been crazy. Yep. And that was I can't imagine like as I was watching that, I love the way that they brought in kind of the security and the and the officers that were there. And, you know, the guy that had the mace out toward Reggie Miller, and he's like, I was not going to spray Reggie Miller with mace. But can you imagine what kind of mindset that dude's in there? He said they had like three officers in the entire building. I know. That is insane. I couldn't believe that when they said right. that. There's no way that would happen in today's uh, game. Yeah, I mean, have yeah, two or three no police officers in the arena. But, yeah, yeah I mean, that's crazy. How do you, I was like, how, how do you in Indiana and don't know who Reggie Miller is? That, that was <laughs> yeah. pretty wild to me. Like, how does that guy not know? That's Reggie Miller, man. Yeah, yeah, but that I was just like, I, I love. They done a fantastic job. If you have not watched it, it's on Netflix. Just search "Malice in the Palace" and it'll bring it up. It, it's a great documentary. And the, whoever I, I should have wrote down in my notes here, who put that together? Do you know who put it together? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not sure. But one one thing I do want to say about it, another thing that I felt was great about it, and maybe I knew this at one time, but and forgot. But the relationship between Ron Artes and Jermaine O'Neal and kind of how that lingered on. Jermaine O'Neill said, even to this day, that he still kind of has some resentment toward Ron Artest. I wasn't aware of that, or at least if I was, I forgot. I didn't even know they kind of had that dynamic when they were playing together. I mean, they talked about a locker room where they had to be separated, and they tried to arrest Jermaine O'Neill. He was like, I'm not going I'm not going anywhere with you. You call, call my lawyer. So I didn't even know about all the stuff that happened after the game in the locker room between Jermaine O'Neill and Ron Artest, and he kind of blames run our test for that whole incident so that was kind of interesting revelation that i that i didn't know about yeah and you got to think like for the, the players and i can't remember if it was uh steven jackson or jermaine o'neill that said it but uh, he he was talking about when when the officer came toward reggie miller he's like we realized at that point it's like 15 versus 20 yeah, this is us versus everybody in this building pretty much and, you know it's like you can call it unprofessional. You can call it whatever you choose to call it. Like you're fending for your life at that point. You don't, you don't expect anything like that to happen. And then when fans start coming on the floor, I, I yeah, know idiots, you know, idiots are the only people that are going on the floor. And so, you know, that's, I, I, like I said, I hope it doesn't ever happen again, but some of these fans are getting way too bold, man. And that, that's, you know, like I say, NBA, put that on loop uh, of Steven Jackson smoking that dude up in the stands. Be like, if you do not want this to be you, you know, don't say anything inappropriate to the players and don't throw anything at the players. Because I was talking about that uh, Russell Westbrook situation with somebody. I can't remember who I was talking to. And I was like, man, I, I, I wish security would just let him go. And he'd be like, man, you can't say that. I'm like, man, these you got people throwing stuff at you, cussing at you. Like do that out in the street and, and, and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, you it, they, and they wouldn't they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. That's the thing about it. Now say that they're not gonna do that. The only reason why they're doing it because they know it's a controlled environment and he's mm -hmm. not gonna be able to get to them. That's that's what, what it is. There's no way no cowards would do that if they met him out in the street face to face. No way. 
Yeah, you, you can call me whatever you want to call me, but I promise you this. If there's a fan sitting in my section that does something stupid like that, I'm going to be the first one to point them out be like, this was him. Like, that's him right there. I mean, you just can't do that. Yeah, man. That's that's like, that's idiots. Yeah, I, n- no room in the game for it, for sure. So let's jump into the – do you want to start with the trade or do you want to go back to Grizzly Summer League stuff, man? Oh, no, but we, we can touch on Summer League. Uh, man. Not, a, not okay. a lot from our from our last podcast. Um it's kind of mixed bag for, for Zion Williams. Um, didn't play well the first game. Second game, the best game of summer league, where he had 19 points, uh, two rebounds, two steals, six of ten from the floor, four or six from three, which that's what you really like to see coming into summer league. One of the big questions with him was the shooting percentages. And in that game, man, he, he's stepping into shots with confidence, some deep threes. Uh, again, four of six, three of six from the free throw line in 28 minutes. That's his first game, his best game of the three. Uh, the last game against who they play uh, Sacramento, uh, not not a not a lot of it's that game is kind of weird, to, hard to take anything out of because it's a game. I think the Grizzlies basically decided we're just gonna they didn't play none of their main guys. The, the, uh, Bain didn't play, Tillman didn't play. They just played some of the the younger guys that are trying to make the team. So it was kind of unstructured. I think they just kind of went in that game and said whatever happens happens. We're gonna play these young guys. Um, and Ben Moore and Olivier Starr are actually stars of that game. And I, I kind of tweeted out during the game, that's exactly what we expected going in. Uh, but, yeah, they kind of showed some showed some things uh, in that game. But Zaire with 10 points, 8 rebounds, really struggled. 0 of 6 from 3, 5 or 15 from the floor. But, again, with, with him, man, I mean, it's growing pains, man. It's going to be ups and downs. And I think that's kind of what you're going to see from him all year. And I'm still interested to see how they handle the situation. And we're going to talk about that more as – as time goes on, but I think that's the key. If if they're gonna throw him into the fire, or he's gonna be a guy where he's just gonna learn by watching. I think you taking them at ten and kind of making that move to go up and get him again. And I've said this before. I think they should should throw him into the fire, man, and, and see what he's got. I mean, you're going young. You've kind of proven again, triple down on the fact that it's long term and, and that's the vision. So if you're going with that and, and you're not specifically keying in on wins and losses this particular season. Then I think you should give him all the all the rope to go out there and, and see what he can do. Yeah, yeah. You know, if it's in a close game and he's not performing to the point where you feel like he can close the game and give you the best chance to win, then at that point, you know, put him on the bench. And your closing lineup could be something like Ja, Dylan, Kyle, Jaron, and X, or you know, Stephen Adams. I don't know that Adams is in there to close games just because of his free throw shooting. I think a lot of that's going to be matchup dependent. But uh, yeah, I think. Rip the Band-Aid off. Let's go. You know, either make it or break it. And getting in there, learning the speed of the game, learning what you know, building the chemistry with your teammates. All of this stuff is going to be important for the Grizzlies moving forward. And Kleiman has said I, on multiple occasions, you know, this is a couple year deal with him. So you know, they have high expectations for him, but you know, it doesn't feel like the Grizzlies are expecting him to just leap off of the page in the first year. You know, I think they're going to give him opportunities. Don't know exactly what that's going to be, but I don't think the bar is set super high for him in this first season. No, and I think they they made that clear, and I wish more fans would would get on board with that because I think a lot of people are still upset about the pick, and I understand. I understand with them making the move, you get rid of JB, who is an extremely popular player among the fan base. You move up, and you're thinking you got guys like Volk Knight on the board. You got Moody on the board. You can even go with guys like Seth Goon. There were a lot of a lot of talent and a lot of guys that you expected to be able to contribute. They won. They were on the board, and they went 
with upside. I mean, I, again, I don't think this is the pick anybody thought going into the draft. A lot of people didn't even think at 17 he was the guy. I mean, we've talked about that so much. But again, now that they made the pick, I'm on board. And I think this front office has done a fantastic job. And however they they want to handle this as far as development, because this coaching staff, again, in, in the front office, they've done a fantastic job of putting players in position to succeed. So I, I expect nothing less here. And I think whatever plan they have for him, I think they're going to stick to it. And this is the front office that I trust when it comes to personnel decisions. I think they usually make the right decision have so far. So I don't think we're going to see anything different here. Uh, but but watching throughout the season, that's going to be key. But I, I think he's going to get his opportunities. I think moving Grayson Allen, open up some more minutes on the wing. Uh, was you talking about Bain or Melton or even Zion Williams we might probably see some time at the two. I, I think that's kind of that, those type of moves were made long, for, for long-term success. And again, I think Zaire is going to get his opportunities this year and, and hopefully he can succeed. I mean, you see something defensively, I think it is even more offensively. I think defensively, we've seen some things in summer league that, that give me hope uh, definitely on that side of the ball. And again, four, six and three, you definitely like to see that. So I'm, I'm intrigued, man. I'm, I'm excited about it. And I think, if he reaches that ceiling, man, he's the prototypical player to put in between Ja and Jared, and that would be fantastic, man. Can create a new big three here into the future. So uh, front office mate got their man. I mean, been watching him since high school, so I'm not mad at the pick anymore. In the moment, <laughs> we've talked about it. I was I was pissed. There's no doubt about it in that moment, but I'm I'm on board with it now, and and I'm excited to watch it and cover him, and and hopefully he grows into that player that that we all and reaches that ceiling that we all think he can. Yeah, same same thing for me. You know, I, I was mad when they made it because of the guys that were on the board, but now it's he's a grizzly, so I'm there. You will, I will still critique him. You know, when, when he does things wrong, I, I'm fine to point those things out, but I'm never going to wish anything but success for him because he's a grizzly now. You can't go back and change the pick. You just move forward. Um, you know, I he he's flashed some stuff again. It, it's summer league, and and I think that. We can't stress that enough that that it is only summer league. Darko in I believe it was the second the second summer league game. No, no, no. How many did they play? They played three. They played three. Vegas, three. Okay. Yeah. So it was after the third game when they didn't start any of the, you know, Bain Tillman. Yeah, it was Gavin Sacramento. You know, like so it, he was talking about these guys had like one practice. So you go out there and you look for them to execute specific things. Us as fans, we watch this and we see guys like Aldama, who they moved up into the end of the first round to get. We see that he's struggling, shooting like 9% from the field in these games. And I see a lot of people rolling over on him already. Oh, I yeah, know people are killing him, man. And I'm like, dude, it, it's summer league. You don't know. You have no idea how good this kid's going to be or how bad this kid's going to be. You may have a feeling that he's going to be bad because he's not played well in the summer league, but he, this is literally his first three games as a pro. There's going to be a learning curve. Some, some guys can jump right in and take off. Some cannot. And because I think because of the conference that he played in, I think that that is going to be, he's it's going to take him a little bit of time to get that speed and you and I talked about it kind of, um, you know, between the two of us, he looks, you can tell that it's a little bit of nerves out there because the ball, as soon as it's hitting his hands, 
he's looking to get rid of it. He short-armed yeah. a lot of stuff. There was one play, he, he got the ball in good position in the paint, and he, he done good footwork, turned to do a little jump hook, yeah, and yeah. I remember that play. Missed it like airballed it. It was awful, and I'm like, oh man, y'all. The footwork was not bad. The shot was awful because it looked rush, and that's a lot of what you're seeing from him. He's had some really good looks at three that he passed up on, and I think some of that is confidence. But you know, while there's not a ton of positive that you can see from him in the summer league right now, it's entirely too early to give up on him for sure. Yeah, I mean, you look, the numbers are bad. There's no doubt about these. Three of 29 overall from the field, or 14 from three. Uh, I mean, he is six to six from the free throw line. So if you want to want to give him a bone and give him a positive, that's a positive. Uh, but but this guy can shoot better than that. I mean, 37% from three on five attempts per game in, in college. And you talk about that learning curve. That's a big jump to go from the Patriot League. I mean, that's a low-level D1 league. And you talk about stepping into summer league and even to the NBA. There's going to be a learning curve with him. And I think the game is just too fast for him. And I think mentally, you can even see it. Like when he's, like you said, when he catches the ball, you can just see it's like a hot potato. He's ready to just put it up. And I think his mind is trying to catch up with the speed of the game and it's just not matching up. Whenever they line up, I think he's going to be fine. You see some potential. I mean, he can move for a guy, a big guy beside. Look good on his shot. He's just rushing it and not, not picking him up. And you can just see it when he, I mean, he's wide open. He's like, man, I got to get this up. And he just, puts him up real quick and just bricks it. And it's, you can just see it. It's definitely nerves with him. And and I think as time goes on, he's definitely going to get better. But I mean, it's three games in summer league and I've kind of had to reel it in because every time you jump on Twitter, I've had people call him a bust already. They at me and then DM me like, why do we trade for this guy? This guy's awful. This guy's never going to be any good. I'm like, this is three games in the summer league, man. Calm down. This guy was essentially at one point, not even on anybody's boards and even, when he did pop up, he was a second-round pick despite the Grizzlies jumping up and getting him last pick in the draft. But this front office had to have seen something in him that they liked. I mean, you already have a guy in Killian Tilly that kind of fits that same mold. For them to make move move two second-round picks uh, to, to, and, 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 uh, to jump up and get him, I, I think there had to be something that they like in this guy. And this front office has done a fantastic job of picking personnel, like we said. So I, I, I'm not going to give up on this guy this quickly. And I'm pulling for him. We talked with his assistant coach and guy that's in his inner circle, Ivo Samovich, here on, on the Hoop Ball Grids podcast. And just a great story, man. He seems like a great kid. And I think he wants to be good. And I think he's going to put in the effort to be good. But, again, it's three games on some league. Calm down. The, I, I think he's going to be fine, man. But you got to give this guy time. Coming in out of the Patriot League, man, that's a big jump. And I, I expected it to be kind of a struggle for him early. And we've seen that here. But – I mean, it's, again, man, three summer league games, man. Give it time. Give it time. There was one play in the Kings game where Davion Mitchell got switched on him, and he was a ball handler. He handled it well. He handled it well. Was it, like, it, is it sad to say that, like, his highlight is not turning the ball over when he's getting pressured by a guard? Yeah, it's tough to say, but you look there. There are things that you can definitely pick out and see. There's been a couple times where he grabbed the rebound and took off on the break. He can handle the ball well for his size. It's just about getting that speed down. And, and I'm hoping they play tonight. Is it Chicago that they play yeah, tonight? Yeah, Chicago late, late, man. 9 p.m. On, on ESPN3 late night. Also play tomorrow night against the Clippers at 8 p.m. on ESPN3. So two games back to back. So we're definitely going to get opportunity to see more of these guys, but you spoke with 12 rebounds in the game, man, if you want to throw out yeah. some positives. Uh, I mean, they did look really well 
rebounding the basketball. So you, there are some definitely things you can see. Gets a rebound, gets out on the break. Good footwork in the paint. He just got to gotta finish those shots and, again, slow down the middle aspect of the game. And I think he'll be fine because, again, there are some tools that you see. And I think the form looks good on his shot. And, I mean, he shot five attempts per game. It's not like it was a small sample, a super small sample size with him. He has a pretty good track record of knocking down shots. So I, I think it has to be a middle thing. And to me, you can even see it when you look at his face, how his mind is racing every time he catches the basketball. Just has to have him lined up. I think he's rushing everything. And he, again, I think his coaching staff will get with him. And I think as time goes on, he'll get more and more confident in himself. I just don't think he has much confidence right now. And I think he feels like people are talking about he's been struggling, he's missing shots. I think he feels like he has to make these shots and be, because of me, he hasn't been making them. And he feels under pressure to do it. And I, and I think you can see that on him on his face. And I think, I think you'll be fine as, as time goes on. Yeah. I think once he, uh, once he calms down a little bit and just does what he's capable of doing, I think he's going to be just fine. So we're going to move on from that. We're going to talk about the trade that actually landed the two guys. We've just been talking about here in Memphis, uh, the, the JV trade. Um, they sent the Grizzlies get Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe pick number 10, which turned into Zaire Williams and pick number 40, which they packaged with two other second round picks to move up to 30 to get Aldama. They give JV pick number 17, which is Trey Murphy and pick 51. And I feel like then the the Pelicans may have traded that. It doesn't even matter. It's not relevant to the story, but there there's a few things about this trade that I, I want to focus on. Um, one of the things I have notes, comparisons, stats, uh, to compare JV and Steven Adams. There's a lot of chat uh, about those two. Um, and if we, we may have some new listeners. Um, my buddy Lyle over at the New Orleans Pelicans podcast for Hootball, he said that Steven Adams has a following and that wherever he's at, we will get some new listeners from uh, – cool. So, you know, hey, if you're new, if you're coming over from the uh, from Lyle and the Pelicans podcast because you're following Stephen Adams, we're glad to have you. Yeah, man. Join the party, man. Yeah, we, we haven't really broke this trade down. We talked about it a little bit, but we didn't really go into depth. We were trying to wait and see what happens with Bloodsoe, and it's still uncertain what's going to happen there. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But my focus is going to be more on the Stephen Adams JV side of it. And then there's something that's been kind of – I see a lot of confusion – with the blood. So contract. So Isaac is, he knows about that. He knows it inside and out and he's going to cover that. And he'll have some stuff about JV and Steven Adams. Number one in this trade, the best player in the trade was hands down without a doubt. Jonas Valanciunas. I think everybody agrees on that. JV was the best player in this trade and he went to new Orleans. This trade was not about getting Steven Adams. It wasn't about blood. So it was about moving up to 10 so they can get Zaire Williams. And I think that we have to, it's going to be a wait and see trade in a few years. If Zaire Williams is not able to put it all together and he ends up going overseas to play ball. Then at that point we can say, okay, th this was a bad trade for the Grizzlies. But right now we don't know that. Short term, is it going to affect the Grizzlies in the win-loss column? I believe that it is. I don't see that there's any way that the Grizzlies win as many games as they did last year. I hate to even doubt John Morant because he somehow just seems to will his way to victory. But I think that they will miss JV. I think that that's going to be a huge hole. But Steven Adams can do a lot of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that JV can do, and I'm going to get into that. Um, 
So the Stephen Adams trade, the Grizzlies owe him $35 million over, $35 million over the next two years. Yeah. So that gives them a little more control. JV was a free agent at the end of this season. The Grizzlies were not planning on retaining him, so they made this move. $35 million is a lot, but based off of what the Grizzlies done in this draft, their window wasn't going to be next season anyway, so they don't mind not having the salary cap. JV, man, I, I've been saying this. I would say not the season that he got traded over, but the following season, I, I said it from then. Even when, when they signed him, they signed him to that contract. I'm like, he is not a long-term piece. He will not finish this contract in Memphis. He will be moved, and that's exactly what happened. So the goal of this trade is to get Jaron more time at the five, or maybe you can develop one of these other guys that they have on the roster into the starting five because I'm on the page. I've said it multiple times on this podcast that I don't believe that Jaron is a true five. Yeah, but maybe, I agree. Maybe we see the growth from Aldama, and he's the, the future starting five. Our X was fantastic last year, and this the two years good big he's a great replacement for jv when you're talking about you know what they're what they're able to do is he going to score the ball as well as jv absolutely not he will not he's never in his career scored the ball like jv that's not going to change with him coming to memphis but he's going to be able to do a lot of stuff for the grizzlies so offensive rebounding is a huge thing that jv brought to the table adams has been in the top 10 in offensive rebounds for the last five seasons He's finished second twice. JV only finished ahead of Adams in offensive rebounding one time. That was last season. And that's the only season. Last season is the only season that JV for his entire career finished inside the top 10 for offensive rebounding. Now, you look at the defensive side. There has been a lot of talk about defense, and I've seen people, you know, Adams is a better defender. People saying, no, he's not. And they throw up the defensive rating from last season. JV had a better defensive rating than Steven Adams last season. That is the only time that that has happened throughout both of their careers. Steven Adams has been better defensively. Defense, he's had a better defensive rating every single year comparatively to Jonas Valanciunas. So the team matters. Excuse me. <clears throat> JV's defensive rating was 108.9. Adams is 115. The team ratings, the Grizzlies was 110.5, and the Pels was 113. So you look at that, and it tells you that Steven Adams doesn't really help their defense. Like, if it just on the surface, if you don't really dig into it, that's what it looks like. I, I just, that's just not the truth. It, it's not the truth at all. So you look at what does JV do better? We talked about his scoring. And defensive rebounding, that's going to be the two areas that JV is far superior to Steven Adams, scoring the basketball and defensive rebounding. But I've got to point this out. It's extremely important, important to point this out. Steven Adams played the majority of his career with Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is among the league leaders in defensive rebounds every single year. Every year, Westbrook is up there. Steven Adams would 
concede the rebound to Westbrook so Westbrook could get it and run the break. Is his defensive rebounding going to just magically shoot up this year with the Grizzlies? I don't think that's the case. I don't think that he's ever going to be the defensive rebounder that JV was, but he's going to be better in the pick and roll defense. Drop defense is fantastic, but JV knew that he was not fleet of foot, so he would he would not hedge whenever they had the pick and roll. He would just drop. So guys would murder, you know, the the Karis Levert game. When Karis LeVert, it felt like he scored 100 points on the Grizzlies because they'd run a pick and roll and JV would drop and Karis would just knock down a, a 15 to 18 foot jump shot and he died all night long. Steven Adams is a little more fleet of foot. He's going to be able to hedge a little bit and get back. Are there going to be cases where that, you know, causes problems? Yeah, th- there, there will be. There's going to be times when the offense is able to manipulate the defense and get what they want. But overall, defensively, Stephen Adams is going to be an improvement there. We talk about paint protection from a big. That's what you want. Stephen Adams was two points better in the paint than JV whenever it comes to defense last year. I got I got all my stats, uh, stats.nba.com if you want to go check it out. You can double-check me if you find something that is – Different than what I'm reading you, you can tweet at me and let me know. I'm on Twitter at dwill2111, but I I spent a lot of time looking this stuff up. So there's a lot of things that we're going to miss from JV, but I really, truly believe that a lot of these people that are mad because it's Steven Adams and the Zebo thing, you're going to fall (laughs) in love. You're going to fall in love with Steven Adams because of what he brings to this team. And Ryan on Twitter, he shared a video of Steven Adams is the toughest man in the league. It's like a 10 minute video on YouTube. I recommend you go check it out. You get a lot of, a lot of look at his personality. I I just think he's going to be great with the fans, with the media. Can't wait for him to get here and and see what happens. I don't think the hole is going to be as big as what a lot of people are thinking between the two. Yeah, I I agree. And and to your your last point, I definitely think, Two or three games down the line, he's he's going to be, become a fan favorite. They're going to love him. He's going to be great with us. The media, he's funny. He's, he's always telling jokes. And, and you talk about grit and grind. I know we've kind of moved on for that. But the city still kind of has that mentality. And they love guys that, that work hard and go out there and do the dirty work. And he's the epitome of, of that type of player. I mean, he's going to go out there and give you 110% every night and go out there hard, hard at lunch bail. He's going to give it to you every night. And between him and JV, that's two things that they definitely have in common. They both play extremely hard. So you're definitely not going to lose anything there. Scoring and defensive rebounding, like you said, I think is where it's going to hurt the most. But offensive rebounding, and you look at Stephen Adams' number, 7.6 points per game, 8.9 rebounds per game. I, I think both of those numbers are going to go up slightly. I think he's going to average at least 10 points, and I think he'll, he'll average double-digit rebounding just because playing next to Jerry, and Jerry's not a guy that's a, a big rebounder. So there's going to be a lot of, rebounds to have uh, within his offense. So I think that number is going to go up. He's definitely better yeah, in, in that, the pick and roll defense. Another thing, I'll let you continue, but that you, you kind of made a point for me. Uh, Jay, the, the rebounding on the Grizzlies, New Orleans had five guys inside the top 100 whenever it comes to defensive rebounding. The Grizzlies only had two. It was JV and Kyle Anderson. That was it. They had nobody else in the top 100 in defensive rebounding. So, you know, there was more competition down there 
for him grabbing defensive rebounds. It was a three-rebound gap. JV was eighth overall in the league at 8.4 per game, and Adams was 49th at 5.2. So that, that's a big difference. And defensive rebounding is extremely important. That stops the possession. Being a better defender is great, but if you're not able to rebound you the basketball rebound, yeah. and you're giving them second chances, kind of you're not really making up anything. So I think that you see – I think that Adams can easily close that gap. You know, three rebounds a game, it may not go up that much, but if he kind of splits the difference there, if he gets up, you know, six, seven rebounds compared to JV's almost nine there, and you have other guys, like I believe Jaron showed a little bit at it of it at the, you know, the end of the year, being able to rebound a little bit better. And I think that you're going to see an improvement from him there. You get the the jump from Jaron and Adams gets a couple more than, I mean, Kyle's still going to get his as well. So that, that, that's going to be big, but it's, it's extremely important to rebound the ball in the defensive end to stop the possession. Yeah. And I, and I think if, if Jaron is right, even to the more to that point, I think his offense is going to make up for both or all that offense that you lost from JV in between JV and Steven Adams and that difference. Um, I mean, you got Adams at eight points a game, JV at 17. So you're talking about, but roughly eight points a game. I think Jaron is going to go a long ways in, in making up that gap. I mean, you might not be scoring in the paint, but Jaron's going to be, and, and I want to see more of that. I think that's a, another reason for this trade. I think they're giving Jaron the green light to, to see what he is, to see if he's going to be that player that they think he's going to be. And, and JV, was a guy that you had to you had, he he was gonna need touches. Steven Adams is not a guy that you have to run plays for. I think he's gonna get most of his things off rim runs, off from rebound offensive rebounds, putbacks and things like that. You're not going to run any plays for him. And that's gonna open things up for, for Jared. And I think that's a undersold reason why another reason why they made this trade that, that hadn't been kind of keyed on a lot. I think Jared's gonna have an opportunity to sink or swim and from listening to him and, and his mentality after that last game. I mean, he was ready to get back in the gym right then. So mm-hmm. I expect I expect him to be healthy, and I expect him to have a big year. But, again, I, I think I agree with you on all points. I don't think it's going to be as bad as it looks on paper going from Steve Adams to JV. Now, you, you're definitely going to lose something. That that offense, you're just not going to be able to totally make that up. Uh, but, again, I think in other areas, as far as defense, these, and Jerry being back healthy and being next to him, I, I think it's going to help make up some of that gap. Uh, from from losing JV, I mean it's a loss, but I don't think it's gonna be as major as a lot of people have kind of kind of thought it's gonna be, or, or stated that it's gonna be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jaron was at 14 points a game last year. That's that's easily gonna go up. Does he get to the 20 mark? I don't know. I don't know if he gets there this year, but I, I think that he's going up some. And Adams, he was at what you, you said, eight points a game. Yeah, seven, seven point six. I definitely think that goes up. Yeah, you know, like if Adams gets around ten to twelve, and then Jaron goes from fourteen to eighteen, the points that you were missing from JV are like boom, you break even. The difference between like the 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 main difference to me between these two is what JV could bring if the offense was struggling, you could slow the game down and run the run just, your offense through JV. Just be feed it, feed the big man. Stabilize. Yeah. He can help you stabilize. That's not going to be there. And I really like I truly believe that's going to be the biggest hole. I think that's where we're going to notice all right, what is what's missing? What what's going on? And Ja it's, going it's, it's into gonna, year three may be able to do that himself. It's going to be on Jaron as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like Dylan Brooks played fantastic in the playoffs. You know, he may be a guy. 
he he was far more efficient in the playoffs, a lot more efficient last year than what he has been throughout his career. Um, you know, it, it's it's going to fall on the shoulders of these younger guys when before you had that safety blanket of JV, but your ceiling that that's the thing. The Grizzlies realized what their ceiling was with JV, and that's a uh, you know you're you're looking probably middle of the pack at best, four, five, six, seven seeds somewhere in that area, and not a true championship contender. Yeah, and so, I I just don't think, and I, and I also don't think it just wasn't Taylor Jenkins' vision of, of this offense and kind of how they want to play. I, I think I think JV kind of, and this is not a negative because I mean this is just how it was when, when they had him in the lineup, but I think he just kind of bogged things down. I think they want to play a little bit more open and, and not mm-hmm. have a guy in, inside that you have to you have to get touches to to throw it down into him. I think they want the lane open up, and I want to see Jaron. We saw a lot of that, especially in his, his first year, playing a lot more in the paint, and hopefully he goes back to that. I I love his three-point shooting, and it's great that he can play out on the perimeter, but I want to see him on the inside more. I'm not, and even in saying that, I'm not a big fan of, of the idea of JV as a permanent five long-term. I, I just think he's better at the four. I think that playing him at the five, I think, takes something away from his game. Now, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him closing in the five, and I think we'll yeah. probably see a lot of that coming up this season with, with Adams out of the game. And I think Jared at the five to close the game. But as far as being a, a, a center, a true center, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I know a lot of people are, and I just don't think that's the best use of his talents. I, I think that kind of takes something away from him uh, playing on the inside, especially you have to give up a lot of effort on the defensive end trying to guard guys that are stronger than you. And, and I, I just think that takes something away. So, again, uh, I mean, I understand why they made the move. And I, I think I'm a big believer in Jared, and I think he's going to have a, a monster year. And, again, I think he's going to be able to make up some, some of that difference uh, offensively that you lose from, from JV. And I think this offense is going to be more in Taylor Jenkins' vision. And I think we'll see. We're going to see if it works. I mean, this is what they wanted. Um, and, and, again, I, I just – I think that it's probably going to cost them a few wins. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but I think this team is still good enough to, to be in the play in and, and possibly make the playoffs. Uh, but, but we'll see how it plays out. The West is extremely tough. We know that it's going to be even tougher this year. Uh, but I still think this team is good enough to be within that top 10 when things are all said and done. And again, I mean, this front office is focused on the long term, and this year is not when they're going to reach their ceiling. Um, and, and that's why they were willing to make these trades. You move. JV, you move Grayson Allen uh, because this is, they don't feel like this is really their window. Despite them making the playoffs last year and probably I think they have an opportunity to make them again this coming season. When they make their, this is not when they're going to make their big moves. So making these moves long term, they were able to get up and get their guy in Zion Williams. And that's what this trade was about. It wasn't about getting Steven Adams. It wasn't about Bledsoe. You hear a lot of fans saying, man, why did they want these guys? It's not necessarily that they looked at it like, we want Eric Bledsoe. We want Steven Adams. That's not what this was about. This trade was going up to get 10 to get Zion Williams, and that's the point of this trade, and it, it was a long-term move. And Again, I mean, it's going to play out in, in real time, and we can look back a couple of years, like you mentioned earlier, and say this was a mistake, but we hopefully that's not the case, and we hopefully Zion Williams catches up with that tr- tremendous amount of potential that he has, and he ends up being a big-time player in this league and because that's the reason why they made this move. Yeah, so let, let's. Uh, there have been a lot of questions flying around about Bloodsoe's contract because when you look at it, it looks like Bloodsoe is getting paid eighteen million this year and next year, but that's not the case, right? No, in, in twenty one twenty two, it's eighteen point one million. Uh, but in the second year, it's only three point nine million guaranteed. So 
essentially this is a one year twenty one million dollar deal. They basically, if you want a twenty one twenty two million dollar deal, um, if you want to look at it like like that, they're fully it's not fully guaranteed in in twenty two twenty three. So this is a basically a a one year thing, and it, it's an interesting situation. Um, and, and I touched on this at the la- end of last episode, and I kind of had some thoughts. Is Eric Bledsoe thing? There's there's layers to it. I think in, in a perfect world, you I've been sure for the franchises thoughts you think and for Eric Bledsoe. He'd probably rather be somewhere else, uh, a place where he can be featured, uh, possibly get more minutes. Um, I think he's 31 years old. He's trying to possibly trying to get one more decent sized contract, and he's going to be one somewhere, want to be somewhere where he can play and featured. And this is not that team. Um, now, for me, if, if you can't move him for a represented asset, something that you think could help you down the line, personally, I would rather have him on the team. I mean, I think talent wise, if you look at that backup point guard, he's definitely upgrade. Now, I've had a lot of people say they should start at the two next to job. And as I said on the last episode, I have no interest on that for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I mean, Bledsoe is 6-1. So you're talking about two small guards starting your backcourt. And we've talked so much about this team needing to get bigger on the wing. And in, in that instance, if you started a shooting guard, you'd be getting smaller. And you just went out and made a trade. You moved Grayson Allen to kind of open up more minutes on the wing for De'Anthony Melton uh, and uh, Zaire, you draft Zaire Williams, uh, open up more minutes for, for De'Anthony Melton and Desmond Bain at the two. And if you bring in a guy that's 99% only going to be here for one year and you start him at the shooting guard, you're taking minutes away from those other wings where you just made a move to try to clear that up. So you could, you theoretically could give him Grayson Allen minutes at the two, but then you'd be back right back in a situation where you were starting a guy that's not a long-term feast for your roster. So that doesn't really make any sense to me, and it doesn't go within their vision. The other option is for him to be the backup point guard. And the thing about that is, we see Bledsoe averaged, how many minutes did he average last year? Uh, got it here somewhere. 29.7 minutes per game. You, you're not going to get that here at the backup point guard. I mean, you could play some backup point guard. I think Tyus Jones averaged 17.5 minutes a game. So you could get those minutes. And you probably still some minutes here and there with other guys on the floor at the two. But I don't know if Bledsoe's going to be happy with that. As I said, I think he wants to be somewhere where I'm sure and he hasn't said any of that. We haven't heard anything from him. But you're just making educated assumptions that with him being 31 years old and up for a contract next year, he's going to want to be somewhere where he can really be featured. And that's just not going to happen here. If he's willing to accept that backup point guard role, I'm, I want him here. I mean, I think it's a upgrade and at that point you he allows you to move Tyus for other for other assets that can help you long term. I think it would be fantastic. I just don't know and I'm not sure if he's gonna be happy with that role. Now again we haven't heard anything from him um on this since the trade. I mean Chris Ames came out immediately and said Bledsoe wasn't long for this roster. So we'll see what happens. But if he's here and he's willing to accept that backup point guard role, I'm one hundred percent for it. But if he's gonna be a malcontent and we've kind of seen that with him before in Phoenix uh, tweeting out he don't, doesn't want to be here, so he kind of has a history of, of being a guy that can be unhappy in certain situations. You definitely don't want that in the locker room, and there's just no reason to bring in a guy that's going to be here short-term anyway that's going to cause any kind of problems like that. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. The longer it goes, seem the most two likely options seems to either he's going to be on the roster or they're going to buy him out. But there are also a couple of other options there. We saw with when they brought in Iguodala, they kept him on contract, 
but he wasn't with the team. Now, with Bledsoe, I think this is a little bit different because I don't know what Bledsoe is a guy at, at, at a point in his career where he wants to sit out any time. So I don't think that's likely either. I think either he's straight out bought out or he's on the roster. So we're going to continue to watch this, but I think as time goes on, it's more and more likely that he's going to be here. I just think if that happens, they need to sit out and have a conversation with him and see where his head at and what he's willing to accept and what he's going to be happy with. Yeah, and so we started this conversation at the end of the last show, and I didn't really get my thoughts in on it because we were we were going super long. So I definitely wanted to talk about this today. I am not a fan of him being on the roster. I just don't think that he accepts that backup role. I Maybe agree. he does. 2017, when he was in Phoenix, he requested a trade. You know, I, I want to get out of here is what he said. Since then, we've not heard anything about him being an issue in the locker room. So may, maybe, maybe he has matured since then. You know, maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know the full story of why he wanted out of Phoenix. I don't know everything that was going on out there. I don't know that we ever will, but he wanted out of there. He's also played on better teams since he left Phoenix with the exception of last year in New Orleans. So I just... I don't see how it's beneficial for the Grizzlies to have him on the roster playing any minutes. This is the, the trades that they made moving Grayson Allen to open up wing rotation minutes, moving JV to give Jaron more time at the five. These are all future moves and stunning the growth of Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, Zaire Williams, Dylan Brooks, Stunting the growth of any of your young pieces that you are, you know, trying to determine are these guys going to be a part of a championship team for Eric Bledsoe doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know that they will buy him out. He's not, I, I it's not the Iguodala situation because we knew right away that Iguodala was not going to play in Memphis. He made that abundantly clear and we've not heard anything from Bledsoe. So to me, I'm completely out on Bledsoe being on the roster. Obviously, the Grizzlies have, you know, $18 million is a lot of money. He's owed $21 million. The Grizzlies have bought out guys that were $10 million contracts and just, you know, like ate that money. Maybe that's something, you know, if Bledsoe, if they negotiate with Bledsoe, like, hey, you know, we'll buy you out for $10 million for like the rest of your contract, $10 million. That way you can go and find somewhere else to play. Or there's still a chance that they can trade him. You look at teams that were playoff teams last year that don't really have a solid point guard. There's three that come to mind, two from the Western Conference and one from the Eastern Conference. And I'm going to save the one from the Eastern Conference for last. But number one, and Luca runs the point the majority of the time, but you could, like, go into Dallas Mavericks, Eric Bledsoe to the Dallas Mavericks. They've got some young guys uh, Josh Green is a guy that I, I was high on coming out of college. I think that, you know, if you could work out something to to land him, to bring him to Memphis, I think that, you know, that, that would be great. Um, I don't know that Dallas, you know, I'm not looking at their contracts right now, who they've got that they could trade to make the money work, but it may be something where the Grizzlies would eat some of the contract just to move him. Um, you know, but Dallas is one where they could use another playmaker. That's something that I feel like that they were they were short on in the playoffs. Luca is obviously fantastic, and he's you know Bloodso's not going to take any minutes away from him. But I could see Bloodso getting more time in Dallas and maybe being a little more willing to accept a bench role 
with a team that has a legitimate shot of being a, a contender next year. The second Western Conference team, they uh, they've re-signed Reggie Jackson, but they're short on playmakers, and, and that's that that's the Clippers, man. I that they've got guys that they could move and make it work. I I don't know what the you know what the asking price is going to be, what kind of return they're going to get from Bledsoe. But I think that if there's any way that he ends up on this roster this year, I don't think it's positive. If he actually is in Memphis and plays minutes, I don't see that being a positive at all. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 only, the only way that I want, I would want him on the roster, as I said, is if he would accept that, that backup role, that 17, 18 minutes a game. And I agree with you. I just, even though he hasn't said this himself, I just don't see him being happy in that role. Me putting myself in his shoes, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense for him, and it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Grizzlies. I think if 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 he accepts that role, I think if you're the Grizzlies, you look at it like, well, Tyus is probably not a long-term player on this roster either. I think he's probably going to be moved at some point before 22-23 uh, regardless of whether this Bledsoe or this Bledsoe thing plays out. I got a feeling that he's not long for this roster either. So if he's willing to buy in for one year, he's an upgrade, and – he kind of helps you short term, but I just don't think that's the case. I, I agree with you. I just think that he's going to want to be somewhere where either there's a better chance of winning or that he can be featured more. And it just, for both sides, it just doesn't really make any sense. So I think number, the best option, and I think, and I said, as I said, I think for both parties, the Grizzlies and him would be to be able to move him. It, it's just, it'll just be interesting to see can they make that happen. Uh, you haven't really heard any traction on it yet, but we still have a lot of time before the season starts where, where they can make a move. Uh, but uh, again, man, if if he's not going to be happy and he's going to be a problem in the locker room, they just don't need him here. And that, I think that's likely likely the case with the situation because I don't want him taking minutes away from, from any of the wings. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Why are you going to have a guy that's going to be here one year, a veteran guy, come in when you're everything that you're doing is based on a feature? It just doesn't make any sense to because that would be a win-now move. Like we're trying to – maximize what we're doing this year and that's just not what they're doing so i mean i agree that it just doesn't make a lot of sense unless uh, unlikely that he's willing to be happy a camper and come in and accept that 16 17 minutes that tires to play and i'll be fine with it if he's willing but i just don't think he'll be he will be yeah yeah it's it's hard to say i you know like we're just guessing Again, we, we've not had any reports. There's nothing concrete saying that, that Bledsoe doesn't want to be here. But just just kind of the feeling that we get, that that's where we're at. And, and that is, man, I, I don't know. It, it just scares me. It, I do not want him on the roster, not because he's a bad player. I think that there are some positive things that he could bring. But for development-wise, I think having a, a, a veteran guard on the team is not going to be good for the Grizzlies long-term. I mean, he's making $18 million. I mean, I, I'm sure he, he views himself as – he, and, and, and this is crazy to say, but, I mean, I'm sure he would probably say, I should be starting instead of job. That's probably yeah. how he would feel. And this, that's just not something that you'd want in, in, in this locker room if, if that's not the kind of attitude that you can bring. I mean, would he be an upgrade over Tyus? In most categories, yeah. Tyus is a better floor general, but outside of that, I, I think – Bledsoe was upgrade. I mean, even though he's only 6'1", he plays a lot bigger than Tyus. Um, he's about 215, 220 pounds, bigger and stronger, uh, just, just does a, a lot of things. I think defensively, definitely better than Tyus. I mean, he's a tremendous 
defender. Um, and three-point shooting, people have talked about his shooting. I mean, he shot 34.1% from three on five attempts a game. You hear people talk, they act like he shot like 18%. He's not a terrible three-point shooter. And actually, last year, he made 121. That's actually the third most he's made in his career. Um, and he's a career 33.7% three-point shooter. So he actually shot the basketball better than he has for his career last year. So 34% is not fantastic, but it's not awful either. So, I mean, numbers-wise, I mean, he could help this team. It's just whether he's going to be willing to accept that role. And it's going to be a much smaller role than he's probably ever had in his career. And I just, at this point, especially when he's trying to, trying to get another contract uh, going into next, after this season, I just don't think that he's going to be happy in, in that role on a team that's on the low end of, 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 the, of the playoff spectrum. I, I just, behind a young guy like Ja, who's a button superstar, just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yep. Same. So the the one other team, I said there was one Eastern Conference team, and this is just stuff that could work because of the roster. And at the end of the day, you never know. Like somebody may like Bloodsoe and be okay with taking that money and, and moving him onto their roster. But the 76ers, the situation with Ben Simmons is it's been toxic. They're looking to move Ben Simmons. The longer this discourse goes on between the two of them, I think the lower his value goes. Yeah, they're got some crazy, crazy amount of it. They're gonna have to come down off of that because yeah. there's no way, there's no way you can bring him back into that locker room. And they say he's not even in contact with them, not answering their yeah, calls. They can't even yeah. get in touch with him. Yeah, won't talk to Embiid, won't talk to anybody with the 76ers. But salary-wise, Bloodsoe and Kyle Anderson gets you to the salary with Ben Simmons. That gives the Sixers two guys that are win-now guys. Kyle Anderson is a fantastic role player. As much as I don't want to see Kyle go, I don't know if he's a part of the future either. I think that this, I think the front office, I think the coach likes him. I I know what he brings. He can guard one through five. He can handle the ball. His three-point shooting, he shot at a career high last year. I think he made more threes last year than he had in his entire career leading up to that. So Kyle's not a guy that I really want to see go, but that makes the money work. You just have to decide on picks. And guess what the Grizzlies done this year when they were moving this stuff around? They added picks. They've got right now they have three first-round picks headed into next season. So maybe that's something, you know, you've got Utah's first, they have the Lakers first, and then their own first headed into next season. And then uh, uh, go down the board, you've got, uh, looks like, a 2024 pick swap. You've got Golden State's 2024 pick. The Grizzlies have the assets. Yeah, they got assets, for sure. And so if you're an anti-Ben Simmons person, let me pitch it to you like this. Ben Simmons is playing the point guard role in Philadelphia. If he came to Memphis, he would not be the primary ball handler. You play Ben Simmons in a role where I have no doubt that in Taylor Jenkins' offense that Ben Simmons could thrive. A secondary playmaker that can handle the ball, he can rebound. I I love that fit for the Grizzlies. Is it going to happen? Probably not. Like, this is just a pipe dream. But the Grizzlies have the assets to go out and get a disgruntled star. And Ben Simmons is young. Ben Simmons is what he's 24, 25, 24. 25. 25 yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's still plenty young enough to pair with this, this core 
And that would be incredible. If Zaire turns into what we hope he does, and you have John Morant, Ben Simmons, Jaron Jackson Jr., and then Zaire, that's an amazing group of four right there without anything else. But then I didn't even mention Dylan Brooks in there. Yeah, I mean, I, I tweeted out the other night that we, we're always talking about finding that third guy. If if Zaire Williams pans out, the Grizzlies are putting themselves in a position to have a big four. Not, not talking about big three because you already have Ja in place and, mm-hmm. and, you, and you know what the trajectory he's on. If Jared is a guy that they think and Z- they think he can be and develops into that guy, continues to develop, and Zaire reaches his ceiling, I mean, they're, they're putting together the assets to make a big move outside of those three. So you could be looking at a big four. And, and just like you just said there, and that's how you win a championship in, in, a, in a small market team. I mean, you mm-hmm. draft two or three guys and then you make a trade or might even get lucky because if you, if you got players like that, you might be able to, I know we, they haven't done it in the past, but when you got stars like job, this team develops desire Williams into what these guys could be. You might be able to pull it, pull in a free agent who knows down the line, but they're in position to possibly do some big things here because I mean, they're taking a big shot with Zaire, but if he reaches that ceiling and Jaron ends up being the guy that we think he could be, this thing could get scary. And I mean, scary in a good way because they are, they're in position and, Putting themselves, I don't think they have a specific plan on where we're targeting this guy, this guy. They're just gonna be ready when if, if that opportunity presents itself. And just like you said, I mean, with the Ben Simmons thing, that would be an example of that. Or even down the line, you we, we've talked about Zion Williamson. We know his relationship with Jod. He's not happy in New Orleans. That could be something that turns into something. Who knows what happens down the line? But this front office has definitely put themselves in positions with assets to be able to go make a big move if that opportunity presents itself. Yeah, and. Again, I, I don't know. I'm not saying I'm definitely not heard anything that, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies are talking to the Sixers. And I'll be honest with you, the asking price, they're asking James Harden type trade. Man. And Ben Simmons is not James Harden. Ben no. Simmons is a really good NBA player. Man, that defense, you had Ben, man, I'm, I, I could go on forever about how that fit would be here in Memphis. Oh, man. Like, we, with Zaire, Zaire 610, yeah, being you, out, you got Jared. <laughs> yeah. God, so that is j- just imagine a lineup with Ja, Zaire, Dylan, Ben Simmons, man. and Jared. That is a nasty – like, you have Ja Morant's defense. Need, we need to see that grow. But you've got four guys. He has guys to cover for him. That's for sure. Yeah, like if you if you're gonna have guy if you're putting guys around him to make up for his lack of defense, that's a pretty salty four to have out there with him. So, man, I, I don't have much of anything else. I think we've pretty well covered uh, the, the stuff that we want to talk about. The Grizzlies play again tonight against the Bulls on ESPN three. Um, also tomorrow night, to, tomorrow night consolation game against the Clippers, eight p.m. It's also on ESPN three. So you got Grizzlies. Next two nights, uh, so we get to to see some more of these guys grow. Man, I'm interested to see every every rep that Desire and, and Aldama get is, is fantastic for them, and it, it's going to be fun to watch these guys. But again, temper your expectations. Don't make these big assumptions off of summer league, man. Just killing guys. Aldama was basically a second round pick and expecting to go undrafted a, a couple weeks for the draft. So it's going to be some growing pains, man. Stop killing this guy. I know they made. I know they moved up to get him. But but they went back and got both of those picks back in the Grayson Allen trade, picked up two more second rounders. So essentially, they just got the guy they wanted. So, I mean, don't kill this guy. I mean, he, he's going to take some time with him, and I think he's going to be fine. One thing that I do want to want to say real quick before we get out of here, how about Killian Tilly, man? Uh, did get a little banged up last game, but he's looked fantastic. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and they actually got him back on a two-way contract. I was said I was kind of worried about how they were going to make that work with Aldama being kind of a, a similar trajectory. You think a big that can step on the rimmer and, and shoot threes, and you got Killian Tilly, respected free agent. You could tender him a qualifying offer, and you're thinking with the number of coins, it would be hard, I think, to roster both of those guys. Somehow, they, they got Tilly back on a two-way, which is surprising to me because I think that if he had waited out, he probably would have got an offer seat from somebody. That I think that shows that he wants to be with this organization. I think he knows that they put time in and, and help him develop and work with him. That shows that he wants to be here because I definitely think he possibly left some money on the table there. But I think it's fantastic on this of this front office to go ahead and lock him up and get him back on, on the two-way. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I was really surprised that they were able to do that for sure. That's uh I think it's great. Gives you another year of control. And also, you know, by the time you get to next year, you may have another roster spot open up. There's no telling what's gonna happen between now and then. But uh I'm you you have mentioned it a number of times about Aldama and Tilly are very similar in their play type. So having both of them on the roster was gonna be kind of a, a traffic jam there. And the fact that, you know, Tilly's on the two-way, so he's probably going to spend the majority of his time in South Haven. I was, I guess maybe because the Grizzlies signed him, he's like, okay, you know, you guys had faith in me. You signed me. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'll take this two-way and I'll earn my contract. And he's got the talent. He definitely has the talent to do it. You could see that in the games that he played last year and then plus what he's doing in the summer league. Man. I'm I'm excited for this year, even though, like I said, I don't think that they're going to get back to where they were last year. I don't think they have as many wins. Maybe you still see a play-in. Maybe they make the playoffs. But um, I don't know. It's it's going to be fun to watch because we're going to get to see some of these uh, some of these young guys develop and see year three of Ja get Jaron coming into the uh, into the off season fully healthy. So he's just been working out. It's a lot of positives for the Grizzlies. Before we get out of here, I'm going to talk to you guys about our partner here at HoopBall, mybookie.ag, best online sportsbook out there. More lines and better odds for the players than any other sportsbook. They have a 24-hour live casino, and it works in all 50 states. You go over there to mybookie.ag, use our promo code HoopBall, and they will match your initial deposit 50% up to $1,000. So get over there, get some free money, start betting, start parlaying, Follow the guys over at Hootball Gaming. They have been killing it with the baseball bets. I think my guy Devin is something like 68% win percentage so far in the season. So get over to mybookie.ag. Again, the promo code is Hootball. Sign up, get your initial deposit match, play with that money, and win. Isaac, you got anything else before we get out of here, man? Yeah, man. Just on that that last point, I think this season is going to be about internal development, and I think – more specifically with Jaron. Can Jaron take that next step? I think that's going to be the story of the season. So if we see the guys like Ja and Dylan and these guys continue to to take another step and Jaron gets closer to the ceiling and, and, and gets back to the guy that we think he can be, I think that's where you can see them finish something similar to last year. If guys kind of stay the same and Jaron kind of doesn't take that step forward, I think I think you can see them take a significant step back. And that's going to, that's why this is going to be so fun to watch because I think there's a lot of you, when you have a young guys like this, you look forward to them continuing to grow. And, and I think each one of these guys, individual growth of all these young guys is what's going to be fun to watch this season. So I'm looking forward to it, man. But other than that, man, you can get me on Twitter at Isaac underscore rivals, I S A A C underscore rivals. Make sure you go over to at Grizz 
give us a follow. You can find my man David Williams. You can find him on Twitter at dwell2111. And other than that, man, we'll be back sometime next week. Until next time, we go. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.